All right, we are on location on the set of Candace, and I'm with Candace Owens on your set, lady. Not too shabby. Come a long way. You since, have come uh, a long way. You being one of my first interviews on your set, so there we go. That's right. Uh, everyone knows the story between us and knows our history, but real quick to recap in one minute, when I brought you on to my show originally, we were doing YouTube week. We were just trying to find like anyone on YouTube doing anything interesting. We found this girl, Red Pill Black. I did not know your name until we sat down in those chairs a minute before we started. And now you've basically like lit the world on fire. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy to think back at like so much I didn't even know then. Like I obviously was not looking to get into politics. And if I look back on the interview, I feel so young, you know, like so not really knowing what I was stumbling upon, but knowing I kind of had this feeling that something was really wrong and I had been lied to. Um, and wow, what a whirlwind it's been over the last four years. So out of all the people that I've interviewed, and we've talked about this many times privately, but out of all the people that I interviewed, we finished that first interview. I turned to David, I was like, that girl is going to be a superstar. It was just so obvious. But did you have this plan at all? Like, I know you were kind of curious and you were figuring it out. And there were one or two things that I asked you about politics that you were kind of like, I don't know yet. I don't want to comment on that yet, which I thought was pretty impressive actually. But you have just like marched forward. The machine has tried to destroy you how many times now? Yeah. You, keep a, you keep a running count? Definitely have lost count. And you know, I think, again, kind of hinting at the naivety of that first interview, which is really beautiful to watch, is that I just never could have imagined that people would try to destroy me. I never would have imagined even that I wasn't allowed to not have an opinion on some things, that yeah. I wasn't allowed to grow as a person and say I'm still learning because I was still learning. I didn't, I had ideas and feelings about things, but I didn't really have the facts on my side. And I had no idea that when you're in politics, it's just not, they're just looking to expose you and she's a fake, she's a fraud. Oh, look, she doesn't know this, she's stupid. So I had to grow up pretty quick, you know, and, and really kind of sharpen my figurative sword and really get ready and do a lot of studying. Um, but yeah, I, I could have never imagined, I had no plan. I was just saying what I thought to be real and what I thought to be true. Yeah, and I know that you're not just saying it because every time I've been with you when we've done road gigs together or whatever, like you've got 10 books with you. We had dinner at your house last night. You're, you're working on farming now. Like you're always just trying to learn more and more. And I will be welcomed at your off location site, right? When the yep. grid goes down and everything Yeah, when happens. the grid goes down, yeah, I, I actually, as you just hinted on, like I'm, I'm kind of going through this thing now where I realize that, you know, we are all dependents and we are all on welfare if we don't know how to grow our own food and support ourselves. And I think that that really speaks to the drama of this administration um, of realizing that, it, I, I know a lot of Americans empathize with the idea that we feel like we're losing our country and that we really have communists in the White House. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we are, we are watching all of Americans be depressed. And in that vein, I, I said to myself, you know, if this really does hit, right, if we are suddenly living in a communist country in three years, four years, however you want to call it, can I, think, I, can I, I fend for myself? Months, I think. Yeah, two months, right. Yeah. Uh, can I fend for myself? Can I grow my own food? What do I know about living off of the land? Um, so that is something, yeah, that I'm, I'm just now learning now and what better place to do it than in Tennessee, right? I mean, yeah. everybody's you know, farming, hunting. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of another thing that I'm exploring now. Can you believe that you live in Tennessee? I mean, I said to you guys last night, like you so are obviously in the right place. Yeah. So happy in the house is great and little George is great. Like you've just embraced it. But do you kind of sit back and go, wow, I ended up in Tennessee five years ago 
little YouTuber from Philly, like, and here I am now. Yeah, and on Tennessee. your own set with your own crew and the whole yeah. thing. Married to an Englishman in yeah. Tennessee. If you had said to me <laughs> that first day that we yeah. sat down, like, here's, here's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to end up living in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and you're going to be married to an Englishman that you'll have gotten to engage to after two weeks yeah. of, of knowing each other. Um, I would have thought you were nuts, and my life has been pretty nuts and pretty unpredictable. Um, you know, Tennessee, in my heart, I think I maybe thought I would end up in Texas. I love Texas. I love the Texans. And obviously, opportunity came knocking in Tennessee. And now that I'm here, I could never imagine living anywhere else. Like, this is fully where we want to raise our family. We think it is the greatest state. We love the people. There really is something about the Tennesseans. Yeah. Do you think America is just, this is how it's going to be? Like, you're just going to have to move to places that are more in line with your values? Or is there a point of someone staying in, say, California or New York and fighting? Like, do you think that that point, have we crossed that already? I do not think that there will ever be a clean election in California. I think that Gavin Newsom has made sure that that can't happen. Um, to say, you know, mail-in ballots into perpetuity, if, forget it, no. Um, New York City, I, I don't have much hope for either. Um, I can't imagine, I mean, when I, when I go to New York City, it's like already stepping into a communist country um, where the people are okay with their oppressions. I mean, the idea of having to show papers every time you walk into a restaurant yep. or, or have a transaction, like that's, that's actually not America. So I would almost say that that's not a future prediction, that's a present one. Like New York and California, um, and, and I should say more Los Angeles, I shouldn't you know, say the whole state of California, but those are not American, American cities. What has that told you about, or what have you learned about just humans? The way a certain set of people just want more. That's what I feel like in Los Angeles when I walk around. I'm like, man, you guys like this and you're begging for more control. That's been a very weird thing to kind of realize. Yeah. What it says to me is that fear is one hell of a currency. Um, and I have been hitting on this on my own show, making people aware of the fact that the second somebody can identify what it is that you are fearful over, they can exert control over you. And I don't think that we have ever seen that um, displayed more than in the COVID-19 circumstances. And I'm not just talking about the left and liberals. Let's let's not forget, let's not have a short memory. Yeah. Uh, you know, when this pandemic hit, hit you actually tried to make me uh, work out things with Sam Harris. I mean, we had conservatives, yeah. people that were more in the middle that were saying, no, lockdowns now, at least for now, at least for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I was always like, Hell no, yeah. hell no. I know what this is, it's paralyzing fear. You're showing us uniquely, even the death count. I mean, how bizarre for a news organization to say, stay at home and then every time somebody dies, just add a number on the screen. I mean, that's literally a game of psychological fear, yeah. right? And I knew what was coming around the corner. Um, and it, it shocked me how much people left and right were willing to give up their freedom because they had a little bit of fear, right? Yeah. It shocked me. I wasn't one of them. And I know that a lot of people have come around on the conservative side and said no more. But how do we get people to understand that we can't get to the point where you say no more? It has to be never, right in the beginning when you're fearing fearful. You can't say, well, I was okay with the lockdowns for two weeks, but you know what? One year's a little too long for me, <laughs> right? You've already lost the game. Right, as we're about okay. to roll into year three, basically. Right, it was never okay. Yeah. And I think that because I'm a bit more of a gut player, um, and because I truly do understand how sinister governments can be, it's been the story of human history since forever, I'm never willing to give up a little bit of freedom for, uh, for a little bit of safety. Well, it's so funny to me because since I know you privately and as a friend, I know that the stuff that you talk about publicly, even when I'm like, ah, Candace went a little overboard on that one, I'm like, I know that is you, that really is you. And we, we told the story once, but the day that lockdown started, you were on my show in LA. We didn't know at the time we were taping that lockdowns were about to happen. Right. Um, you were ca literally coughing, <laughs> coughing up blood. blood. 
You were coughing up, but your your friend or your assistant at the time was there also. She was sick. Yeah. David's looking at me like, we're gonna be trapped in the house for months with Candace. She's gonna <laughs> die here, like it's all over. But you were like, you were just like, no, I don't have COVID, I'm fine. Like it has something to do with the pillows at the hotel. Yeah, I was, and, I was and everyone's insane and I'm gonna get the pillows. hell out of here. Yeah. yeah, that was so funny actually in retrospect, like the worst <laughs> timing of me having an allergic reaction to feathered pillows and like your husband was not buying it. He's like, no, 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 she's dying. Yeah. <laughs> like Googling like to see like what was happening, but yeah, you know, and, and that was that was actually the last event I did before they sort of locked down everything and I, all my events, you know, necessarily got canceled, but not because of me. I mean, I attended everything. Um, you know, I was pregnant during COVID. I traveled the country. I, I, I traveled the world. I went to Croatia. Um, I went to England. I, I just did not have this fear. I, I can't explain it. Uh, it was just, it was too convenient. Um, and it also obviously didn't help their case that they had predicted the coronavirus pandemic, the World Economic Forum a year prior. Um, you know, I think what we're dealing with right now is a very sinister, evil globalist agenda. Um, and that is not a conspiracy. I think that is a fact. And uh, they, they want to exert control over every single element of our lives. And unfortunately, you have people that are pliable to that control um, because they're fearful and also people that are just lazy. So one element is that people are, are happy to be controlled because they're fearful. The other element is because control is easy. If you don't have to think for yourself, and somebody just plugs you into a system and says, do this. I mean, freedom is hard. Freedom is hard work. Personal responsibility is hard. Growing your own vegetables. Hey, that's pretty hard, <laughs> right? It's kind of easy to just go to the grocery store and have it being prepared. Yeah. People don't like to do things that are difficult. They want things to be handed easily for them. And that, that's why we have, you know, the extraordinary welfare system that we have. Why are you not afraid? I know you're not, but everyone is basically afraid seemingly. But I, I don't know, is it your wiring? Is it something yeah. you learned very early on? Like, why do you always, you see the thing in the distance and you just go right to it? For as many times as Twitter tried to take you out or New York Times or whoever it is, you just keep going and going and going. Yeah, you know, I, I get that question all the time. And, and the truth is that, like, I'm my granddaddy's granddaughter. I mean, he just was a tough guy. He just passed in September. Yeah. I, I obviously dedicated my, my book to him, um, my first book to him. And, you know, I have just always looked at my life in comparison to his. And it's the reason why when people talk about their oppression, and I think of a man who grew up in segregated South, who never, ever, ever um, spoke about being oppressed, never spoke about why people were racist, never spoke about how the white man was after him. He just got up every day and he worked. And he did that from the time he was five years old on a sharecropping farm. I find this generation of individuals to be a little bit pathetic. I think we're a little bit <laughs> pathetic. I think, you know, the greatest generation that ever lived, yeah. uh, uh, you know, yielded the most pathetic generation that's ever lived, which, which is we're walking among, walking among us today. We just can't do anything for ourselves. And I don't want, I don't want to be that. And the other thing is I was just, I'm just wired this way. I was like this since I was a little girl. Um, my parents always tell stories about me, like, I was just one of those precocious kids that just never allowed an adult to tell me what to do without reason. Um, I never responded to arbitrary authority. Like I was one of those kids that if your parents were like, well, you know, clean your bed or Santa's not going to come, I would say like, you tell him not to come, right? <laughs> um, and so they were always laughing and having to close the door to reprimand me because I was kind of like this little adult. And I think in my, my character is really just that I'm not, I, I respect authority, um, but the authority can't be arbitrary. It needs mm -hmm. to make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, you're just, you're, and, and you're okay with it, then, you know, that sets up the grounds for slavery. And I'm not a slave. You are not a slave. That, <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, but will you be a politician? Will I be a politician? Um, I get this question all the time. And I used to say no. And now I, I say never say never. Um, you know, I've had those conversations with my husband before about what it would actually mean. Um, and I definitely would never be in Congress, I can tell you 
absolutely not. I've done two of those hearings. I would rather honestly yeah. pull out all of my fingernails. Um, that was one of your best moments. The one with yes. you and Ted Lou was like yeah. really incredible. And then remember we had that event. I forget, I don't even remember where we were that night, yeah. but like you left that event, you destroyed everyone there. Yeah. And then you just go on with your life. Bye. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, these people are just, are, are, are real losers setting up all these hearings, but. <laughs> If but are I you felt, nervous in any of those things? Like, I do no. this for a living, too, and I, I don't really get nervous, but I haven't sat in front of Congress and, yeah, well, just, you know what? and just destroyed them well, the way Well, let me tell you, you something. Congress works for you, not the other way around. Yeah. I actually think that the way that that whole little auditorium is set up is wrong. Why are they above me? Yeah. I should be... Literally, they're... Uh, yeah, they're literally above you, yeah. and I believe that we should literally be above them. I don't even like the way it's set up. And this is the idea. We've gotten this idea that the, they're above us. They're not. They literally work for us. And 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 the majority of them on, on, on the Democrat sa- side are a bunch of scumbags. And they're working to destroy this country. They've sold us out. Um, a, a lot of them are, have been in D.C. forever and are just corrupt and trying to fill their own pockets. So I had no fear. I was angry um, at the obvious setup and the attempt to play me. Um, and I was happy that I was able to expose them for what they were. But I don't have fear you know, of people that are essentially my employees. Do you have anyone that you've been trying to talk to to get into a debate with that has refused them? There's got to be some, but you've you've done you've done a couple of these, like with Russell Brand, who you had major differences with, and a couple other people. I find it very hard to get these people to talk at this point because we are racist, homophobic bigots. <laughs> um, is there anyone like that's like on your list that you feel like if you could just get them to break, maybe it would it would do something really big? You know. Not anymore, because obviously there's just been this long frustration with realizing that they love to talk about you to garner clicks. But when you say, hey, show up, if you're about it, show up, they always say no. I mean, I think even last week we invited Anna Kasparian. I think she's dedicated hours and hours, hours of coverage uh, of me. And I have dedicated literally zero seconds of coverage to her. And I said, okay, let's have her on the show and have a civil conversation. And and she declined. So um, I, Russell Brand is an amazing human being. He really is. And he's saying stuff. The reason why he was willing to host me and is willing to host others is because he genuinely believed what he was saying, right? If you genuinely believe what you are saying, even if it's wrong, mm-hmm. and you, but you believe it to be true, I can deal with that, yeah. right? And we can talk and we can have a conversation because we both want to become better and we both want to discover the truth. If you know what you are saying is a lie, and you tell that lie day in and day out, you have to hide, right? Because you, you can't face yourself and you can't face the truth. Um, so I always think that, that that kind of marks the difference in the personalities that we see on the left, and there's not too many of them that are willing to sit down with people on the right. Has some of that sort of translated to how you do your show? Because you're doing something that I'm trying to do as well, which is not make people crazy. I'm really uh-huh. not. I'm actually trying to do the reverse. I want people, if they watch, by the end to be like, ah, I laughed a couple times, mm-hmm. like, oh, I thought about this, but I'm not like insane. And almost everyone now that's in our space is almost designed to make everybody crazy. It's actually funny you say that because I would say about five episodes ago, maybe a few more, I kind of sat down with the team and I said, let's make this show more positive, right? Because the feeling that I was getting of even reporting on some of this stuff, was it was just getting so depressing and so overwhelming. And I was like, there's a way to still tell people what's going on without people walking away feeling like, you know, we've, we're gonna lose this country. And the truth is that I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic or I wouldn't get up in the morning. Yeah. If I genuinely thought that we had no shot at winning, what would be my incentive for getting up in the morning and doing this and producing the show? Same for you, right? Yeah. What would be your incentive? Um, and, and I know I mentioned this to you uh, last night, but you know, it, there's also this element of realizing that the reason why they've been so obviously corrupt, right? It's never been more in your face. Hey, we're just gonna teach your kids pornography, yeah. right? Parents, you're domestic terrorists. This is like wild. This is not even a good strategy for the left to do this, right? right? Well, they're losing control. And when Barack Obama was president, they didn't need to censor. 
They didn't need to kick people off of platforms. They didn't need any of that because they actually owned the narrative. They were winning. In 2008, mm -hmm. the Democrat Party was legitimately winning, right? They didn't need to say mail-in ballots forever or, or anything weird because they were legitimately winning and we were all asleep. Me being among them, you being among them, completely yeah. asleep at the yeah. wheel. Well, now things have changed. Um, and because of that change, because they feel like they're losing grip, they're becoming more desperate. So I tell people to remain optimistic and inspired by their desperation. What do you think their move is as they get more desperate? Because they can't let this go on for too long, right? This is what we were talking about last night. It's like if, if enough of us are awake and if we're waking up people and they're seeing the truth and they can watch the Rittenhouse trial, see how MSNBC reports it versus what's actually going on, it's like they can't, the powers that be can't let that exist for too long because then they have a much bigger problem on their hands. Well, you see their play. I mean, you see Brian Stelter. You have journalists that are calling for censorship. Yeah. Boggles my mind, right? Yeah. Some fourth estate, right? They're, they're literally saying to you, we're not the fourth estate. We, we, are, we are a part of the government. We're a part of corporate media. Our job is to protect the government, not to protect the individuals that are being governed. Um, and, and you're seeing them call for more and more censorship. They, they're angry. They're frustrated by the fact that, you know, they spend all day working on their show and maybe they get 100,000 viewers and I can send a tweet that will get more views. That They don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, and so in their frustration, they're demanding more censorship. But it's like you just can't keep, you can't censor people until there's no more. Um, I think what's coming up around the corner and, and something that I, I've been telling people to pay attention to is that the World Economic Forum, the same people that predicted the coronavirus pandemic are now predicting a cyber pandemic uh, where they predict um, that because of the internet and things like Bitcoin being uncontrolled, um, that they're going to have to physically shut down the power grid because there's going to be a virus, literally, like think of like coronavirus for your computer is what they actually said in this um, forum, um, that is going to spread you know, very quickly. So they're gonna have to shut down the power grid to stop it. And you know, for a couple of days, whatever it is, you're not gonna have access to your money or access to the internet. And then when they turn things back on in order to avoid a shutdown like that, again, they're gonna to need to sanitize the internet. This is actually language that the World Economic Forum is using, sitting down with the biggest corporations in the world, uh, talking about what they are describing as an inevitable coronavirus pandemic for your computer. That's the stuff to pay attention to because that would allow them to similarly, in the COVID-19 pandemic, usher in a bunch of things that we've never seen before. That I think would provide a venue for them to take control over the internet, to take out people like me and like you, um, to say that we had to sanitize the internet to keep everybody safe. Um, so I always tell people to kind of look around the bend, hope it doesn't happen, uh, but always be aware of any types of simulation uh, you know, the World Economic Forum is running. And then at that point of two days even, even eight hours where we couldn't get online, you wouldn't have access to Twitter or your bank account or whatever, people would beg mm -hmm. for the control at oh, yeah. that point, right? Yeah, I mean, imagine New York City, right? So imagine, maybe in Tennessee, they'd be like, all right, we're gonna yeah. go, uh, we're gonna go <laughs> hunting. Oh, it's so great. No internet, right? This is great and amazing. You'll be all right. I yeah, saw George's right. cigar room. You'll right, be exactly. You'll be but imagine fine. a place like Tennessee, which, I mean, a, a place like New York City or Los Angeles. These people live, eat, and breathe technology. There's, there is nothing without technology in New York City. It's literally just, it looks like a piece of technology when you look <laughs> at it from the sky, right? Yeah. And so imagine those people not having access, the whole power grid going down. Let's say they do it for four days, right? And they would be beside themselves. They wouldn't know what to do. These people don't, they, I don't even know what, what they would be eating, what would happen in the grocery stores. They can't keep the refrigerators on. I mean, it would really represent something that would traumatize these people, rightfully so. It would be a traumatizing thing for them to go through. Their livelihood would be immediately impacted. And when that power grid went back on, if the government said, like, you know, now you have access to your money, everything's back, but here's what we have to do to make sure 
that four days never happens again, yeah. they will be the first in line, right? Just like they were the first in line for the vaccine cards, don't let us go into restaurants because they will be so paralyzed by fear. These individuals will then be begging the government for more censorship, begging the government to sanitize the internet, begging, saying whatever you have, to, whatever freedoms you have to take away from me, take it. I just want to make sure that that never happens again. Back to our uh, thesis here about fear and, and how that as a driver is the biggest threat to humanity and freedom for humanity. All right, so we only got a couple minutes left because you got a show and I'm gonna do yeah, your show, right. very exciting. Right. There's all these people here, we should do right. another show. Uh, so in like three minutes or so, what, what else is kind of on your mind? Or maybe just like more, what, give me like Candace, the Candace that I know, not the Candace yeah. that uh, everybody else knows. Yeah, uh, you know, I think for me, the next few years, um, every day really is about family for me. Like, you know, I don't think people really get to see the personal side of me because you can't let them in politics. You know, they're just evil. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I try to just tell everybody that family is the most important thing every single day. And I try to, if I can prescribe anything um, upon the world, it would be read the Bible, uh, not because you need to be religious, but because it has good values. I mean, you know what I mean? Read the Bible as if you, as, as you would read Aesop's fables, right? There's just good moralities and lessons in there. And um, I definitely am someone that like, I'll just peruse and read things. And, and, and you go through the scriptures and you realize that, you know, you walk away with an understanding that evil is evil and it can always get more evil, but in the end, goodness wins. Um, and I think that we have to understand that nothing is going to change until we take care of our households first. Maybe this is the Jordan Peterson, yeah, yeah. make your bed, right? Yeah. Um, so invest that time when the world seems evil, invest that time in making your home a better place and, and making good personal individual decisions. And I think that enough of us do that and, and, and we save this place. I gotta tell you, Candace, it's weird because we do this publicly and privately, so there's this like odd lens around it sort of in, in a public sense, but I am just so, truly, I'm so proud of you. It's like, that's what I feel when I'm with you. Like, I feel like you're doing something real. And so many people that I've come across in this, it's not real, it's fake or it's so true. confused or it's muddled or something, and, and you're the real deal. And, Thank I, you. and it's very cool that... Uh, but I'm part of the I'm still the same person, right? Can you give me credit for <laughs> and that? And you love chicken parm. I That's something people parm. don't know about you. You love, love a good chicken parm. I love all chicken. That's why I want chickens, actually. <laughs> My husband says I can't have them in this house, but we'll see. I know how the game works with wives. We wear them down in the end. I will have those chickens. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.